Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, forever and ever. Amen. 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 Well, I know some of you uh, probably showed up, and if you saw, if you've seen a copy of uh, the notes today, you're like, great. Of all the Sundays, I show up on Tithe Sermon Sunday. And you would be right about that. We are going to talk about the tithe, uh, why we get the tithe, and um, just hopefully some information that uh, you may already know, but maybe some information that you've uh, been unaware of. We're going to do that. Before we get into that, I want to I want to make a couple of disclaimers. I want to make a couple of statements, and uh, I, I want to do this just so we can kind of set the stage as, as we uh, approach this uh, this sometimes uh, challenging topic. Number one, simply this: um, today there are going to be some things that that I say, like again, I said are, are challenging, but. I want to be very clear in helping you understand that today is not about correction, okay? Today is about clarity. Today is about bringing clarification as to what we at Christian Life believe about the tithe, okay? The reason for that is because in a church our size, uh, you know, we, we teach this, or at least a portion of this, in our new members class, but in a church our size, we're, we're not naive to the fact that there are still a lot of people who will never go through the, the membership class. We, we realize that. We also realize that, that we, are, uh, we have a, a church that is growing with new believers and new families. Man, the baptism tank, we're dunking people all the time, which is awesome. But sometimes... Sometimes with that, you have to pull back a little bit and go and review the basics so that everybody can be on the stage. Even, you know, our congregation, we literally have a congregation that is spread out all throughout the United States. We get reports and, you know, they're literally in, in, a, in a dozen states across our nation. And so there are people that have not been exposed to this teaching and understanding what scripture um, uh, speaks to related to the tithe. But then, and probably most importantly, we realize that there is some really bad teaching out there about the tithe. And so as a church family, we wanted to bring clarity. We wanted to help everyone understand so that we as a spiritual family are all on the same page about this. The second thing I want to say is that as, as one of the shepherds in this house, I really want to say things well. Like I know any of us who, who preach, we labor over saying things well and choosing what to say and what not to say. And I, I'm going to trust today that there is a relationship here and I'm going to trust that there is understanding in the event that I don't say something well that you're going to give me the benefit of the doubt and you're going to trust that, that my heart is pure before you. Um, however, if you do hear something and it just doesn't sit and you're like, man, what is this guy? Did he just say that? You know, if, if you pick up some type of fence like that, what I, what I want you to do is I just want you to write me a very long, very detailed, very aggressive email, and I want you to send it straight to me. The address is glenn at clcolumbia.com. 
And uh, we, I will be sure to obsess over that and quickly throw it in the trash bin, okay? And then finally, number three, I, I want to say this. I want to say that I love you. I care for you. Uh, what I want to say today, it's about some things, but it's definitely not about other things. And I just want you to understand before we even get into this, um, everything that I'm going to say ultimately is between you and the Lord. My responsibility as a shepherd, as a pastor, is to present to you, to explain to you, to articulate what the word of God says and drop it in your lap. And at that point, it then becomes your responsibility as to do whatever rests between you and the Lord. And so I love you. I care for you. I have asked God to purify uh, motives and, again, to be able to say things well. But I want you to understand that, that when we present a sermon like this, it's important for you to understand that I have no idea in this church who gives and who does not give. I learned this lesson a long time ago. A pastor taught. He said, listen, as a pastor who declares the word of the Lord, there are certain things you want to know and certain things you don't want to know. What you don't want to know is the people in your church who give big and people in your church that don't give at all. You don't want to know any of it because when you stand to present the word of God, you don't want to target preach. What you want to do is you want to preach with a clear conscience. And so I have no idea. You may be the most exuberant, joyful giver I've you know, would have ever met, or you may not give a dime, but I'm just presenting the word so that it falls on who it may fall on, uh, who's here in the house today. And so I want to pray for us today and ask for God's blessing over it. Let's join our hearts together. Father, we do come before your presence, and um, I just want to lift up your people to you. I want to lift up this moment Lord, as much of anything, I, I do play, pray for clarity, but I really pray for understanding. I pray that each of us will have eyes to see and ears to hear and to perceive what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And I just pray for that, that wealth of understanding to really settle upon our hearts today. Help me to articulate well. Help me to speak well. And I pray, Lord, that we will uh, do our best in the furthering of your kingdom, in Christ's name, amen, amen, amen. Well, most of you know I have 23.72 children that live in my house, and uh, one of them is a boy. His name is Easton, uh, who is now 15 and an amazing young man. What you may not know is when Easton was young, when he was, he was less than two, he was probably one and a half, um, there was a situation that kind of unfolded at our home. Joy and I were in one part of the house, he was in another part of the house, and all of a sudden, we heard Easton choking. And um, we, we rushed to the room, and sure enough, he was like clawing at his throat, he was turning colors. And so we snatched his little body up, and as soon as we, we jerked him up, whatever was in his throat kind of dislodged, and, and he swallowed it. And so we called a, uh, a nurse friend of ours, and we said, we don't know what to do. We've never experienced anything like this. You know, what, what do we do? And she said, well, you know, the, the best thing to do, you need to go ahead and take him to the ER, get an x-ray, because, you know, it could have been like a Lego, and he'll just pass it, um, or it could have been poison. And, you, you know, there's, one of these is not good. And so she said, just play it safe. Go ahead and take him to the ER, get an x-ray. And so we, we took little man down to uh, the emergency room there in Panama City. 
and uh, they took an x-ray and the doctor came back with this x-ray and I want, I want to show you a photo of the x-ray, um, perhaps. And if you can see in this little body, in his little tummy, do you see that little thing sitting right there? What that is is a metal screw. And that's a weird appetite, right? And this metal screw, he just picked up for whatever reason, and he decided to ingest it, and he did. And so the doctor said, look, you can do one of two things. You can either let him try to pass it, but if he tries to pass it, the, the danger in that is, is that it could peripherate, you know, one of, one of his intestines, and then, you know, that, that builds upon issue upon issue. They said, or you could let us put him to sleep, and we'll go in, and we'll go through his esophagus. We'll retrieve it. We'll pull it out. And so, naturally, we didn't want to take the risk, and so we transported him to another hospital a couple hours away where they were able to put him to sleep and to do the procedure, and um, they, they did it successfully, and everything seemingly was fine. What happened in the months and, and the years to follow was um, that this situation, from what we can suspect, triggered something in his physiological state. And basically, the way that these issues manifested in his physical body was that Easton developed what we call, it's, it's a diagnosis called apraxia which basically means that, that for a season of your life, there is some type of disconnect between the brain and the tongue, okay? And so what that meant was that Easton's life was greatly affected in his speech. He didn't speak, you know, like in sentences till he was almost six years old. Uh, it was just little tidbits here and there. We had speech pathologists come into our home and, you know, just on and on and on. But one of the major ways that it affected him was in his eating. So his taste buds were not the way that, you know, the average person taste buds are. And so for a long time in Easton's life, his diet consisted of Doritos, Cheetos, and Yoo-Hoo, right? Every young boy's dream, right? But that's all he would eat. And so Joy and I, we had to get super creative and we had to find ways to supplement so that he could have proper nutrition so he didn't die. And so we, man, we just did so many different things. We went through so many different, um, such a difficult journey with that for years, for years we struggled through that. Well, a few years ago from today, a few years ago, I got a phone call out of the blue from a friend of mine. And... The friend called and said, hey, listen, I know it's close to Christmas, and I know that we've, you know, we don't usually exchange gifts or whatever, but we bought you a gift, and we want you to come, and come to the house and pick it up. And I was, oh, this is amazing. You know, he's going to give me a million dollars. You know, so I, I go to the house, and um, totally unexpected, I go. They open the garage, and they're sitting in the garage is a box. It's, it's a smoker, okay? It's like a grill that you smoke meat on. And I was like, this is amazing. I've never cooked anything in my life. You know, I, I mean, I still, I know how to cook grilled cheese, but I still have to read the directions to make mac and cheese. Okay, so I'm just not that guy. And so I was like, this is amazing. This is great. Thanks so much. And so we took it home. I fired that sucker up uh, about a week later. And uh, the first thing that I threw on the smoker was chicken. I threw some wings and some, some thighs on there, and it is glorious if you've ever had smoked meat. And for the first time, for the very first time in his young life, I remember Easton poked up his head, and he said, oh, 
oh, that smells good. And I said, what? <laughs> he said, oh, I, uh, that smells so good. What is that? I said, well, buddy, it's chicken. Would you like to try some? And he says, oh, yeah, I'd love to take a bite, you know. And for the first time in his little life, he devoured <laughs> chicken willingly, and not just willingly, but gladly. And so for the next, like, six months, four or five nights a week, like, we're buying chicken. Like, the stores can't keep chicken in stock because we're consuming it at the Henderson home, right? Now, our friends that gifted us with that, they had no idea any of this was going on. But I even tell them to this day that they were being sensitive to the Spirit, even if they didn't realize it at the time, they were being led by the Spirit of God because it fundamentally changed my son's life. And so... He ate a lot of chicken, and then I was like, we're going to just try other stuff. And so I took a pork butt, smoked it, pulled pork. All of a sudden, man loves pork, right? He's like, man, this is so good. And I'm like, let's try steak. <laughs> he starts eating steak. I'm like, let's try chicken. No, 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 no. Fish? No. Okay, okay. We're too far, too far, right? So we begin this process, and all of a sudden, it's like, it's like all of these things begin to happen, and he... Um, his little life begins to open up in a way that it hadn't before. It's almost as if his, his physical body was locked up and there was a flow of things that needed to happen that were not happening up to that point. But when he began to do the things that he should be doing, it's like all of a sudden, woo! It's like all of a sudden, Right, He's eating other foods, but all of a sudden, the kid is gaining weight. And he's not just gaining weight, but guess what? Now, all of a sudden, he's taller than his mama and his 22-year-old sister. And neither one of them is happy about it. Right? <laughs> They're both like angry little people running around. Can't believe this kid is so tall. Now, all of a sudden, he's got endurance. He's on track teams and cross-country teams. The kid averages running 30 miles a week. 30 miles a week, which the whole team does that, but the whole team didn't come from this type of situation. Got the kid in weight training. I mean, just on and on and on. And again, the, the point is simply this. It's almost as if none of this stuff had the freedom to move and to be experienced in his life because everything was so locked up because he wasn't getting the proper nutrition. He wasn't doing and eating the things that he needed to be for this unlocking to begin to happen, right? And when we approach the book of Malachi this morning, in a spiritual sense, that's exactly where we find the people of Israel. For decades and for years, the people of God have refused to do what God has commanded them to do. And all of a sudden, it's like the gears of heaven just grind to a halt and everything is locked up. The presence of God is not the way that it used to be. The provision of God is on hold. The blessing of God is stifled. And all of a sudden, the people are experiencing this horrific time in their, the, their history. And Malachi brilliantly steps in and helps them understand why and what's going on. We end up finding out 
that the people of God, on, not only on, on individual levels, but on a corporate level, there is incredible compromise and shiftiness in their relationship with each other, their relationship with God. And the, 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 the dive of their depravity doesn't, it, it, it extends to every area of their lives. Right, so, so all of a sudden for the past, you know, 60 years or the past generation, all of a sudden the, the marital laws that God had established and decreed, all of a sudden the people are ignoring and they're doing what they want to do and they're living how they want to live. They're participating in injustices all around the land. The priesthood, the ones who are supposed to be leading the nation spiritually, they're corrupt, they're showing favoritism, they're cynical about who God is. The morals of the entire nation are weakened because they are not doing what God had called them to do. And what makes it worse, what makes it worse is that their apathy dipped in to the worship of Almighty God. So you're in a religious system where God is saying, listen, I want you to bring to me sacrifices and I want you to bring to me offerings, but I want them to be your first and I want them to be your best. And when you bring your animal, your livestock offerings, I want them to be the best of the flock. I want them to be pure and I want them to be spotless. But all of a sudden, you got an entire nation, instead of bringing God their first and their best, they're bringing their least and their worst. Right? They're looking for like the goat with the crooked eye. They're like, yeah, we, we're not going to use him. You know, let's give him to God. Look for a little lamb that has like, you know, three legs instead of four, the, the worst of their grain or animals that have mange on them, defects all about them. These are the things that they would never bring to the Persian government if the government asked for them. But for whatever reason, they think that this is going to satisfy the living God. So then you've got this contrast between the people of God and how they are currently living in the book of Malachi. You've got them contrasted with the heathen nations who are worshiping, you know, all of these idols. And what you have is you have this contrast of an apathetic, a lackadaisical Israel who are giving scraps to the living God while you have passionate heathens who are giving their very best to dead gods. It's like bizarro world. It's upside down, it's twisted, but that's exactly the situation. And so what happens as a result of all of this, as a result of their moral downturn, as a result of all the corruption, the grinding wheels of heaven come to a halt. Now the entire nation is under divine judgment. There's drought you know, agriculturally, there's a depression. Economically, they're in a depression. The Persian government is now their ruler. They have no autonomy. Everything about their lives individually and everything about their nation as a whole has been locked up. And Malachi steps in brilliantly with a prophetic voice. And he calls to attention the things that are clogging up the gears that are preventing the provision and the blessing of God from flowing through their lives. And he does it in such a brilliant way. Malachi is such a, it's almost like a poetic book. You, you should read it sometime. But basically the prophet says, this is what God has decreed, but this is how you've argued against God. And this is what God says is the final word because God always gets the final word. 
and just back and forth, six, seven, eight different times. This, this is what God said. This is how you argue, but this is what God said. This is what God said. Here's how you wind, but this is what God says. And so Malachi goes through and through the first couple of chapters, he's talking about their lack of love for God. He's talking about their lack of purity, their immorality, the corruption. He's talking about all these things. All of a sudden, when we approach Malachi chapter 3, the Lord pauses and he focuses on something that the average person just wouldn't think. It, it just doesn't necessarily naturally fit into this narrative. But Malachi begins to talk to the people about their neglect of the tithe. Okay? Listen to the pattern here. This is the Lord speaking through Malachi. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Listen to me, that's a statement of mercy. That is God saying, you have not done anything that I've asked you to do. You are in gross rebellion and gross depravity. But because I, the Lord, do not change, I will not destroy you. I will keep my promises to preserve you. But ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? And God replies, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, well, God, how are we robbing you? And this is what the Lord says. He says, you're robbing me in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from destroying and devouring your crops. And the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now in Israel, the people were called to give in three different ways. First, they were called to give sacrifices, animal sacrifice, grain sacrifices. They were also called to give free will offerings. We'll talk about those later. But the first way that the people of God were commanded to give is in the tithe. And the first time we see this is in the book of Leviticus. Listen to what scripture says. This is the Lord speaking here. He says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain or from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. And listen to what the Lord says. He says, for it is holy to the Lord. He says the tithe is holy to the Lord. And so this is kind of how it would play out. Once a year, the people of God would bring to the priests a tithe. And this tithe was designed to sustain the, the priests and their families because Levites, the priests of that day, they were not allowed to own land. They didn't inherit anything. And so everything that they received for their sustenance came from the people of God. This is the way that God designed it. And so they, it would come to, to care for the, the priests, but it would also come to make sure that the temple of God, you, you know, the, or in that day, the tabernacle and later the temple and then the synagogues, all of these things were well-maintained. All of these things were taken care of so the ministry of God could go forth. 
Another time of the year, during one of the festivals, there was another tithe that was given. And then every third year, there was a tithe that was given. And this tithe was designated to the poor. It was to help widows and orphans and, you know, those who were needy or disabled uh, who really need uh, sustainability. And the reality is this. If you do the math at what God had called Israel to do, every year the people were tithing, tithing, they were giving about 23% of their income. Every single year to the Lord, they were giving approximately 23% of their income to the Lord. But this is what the Lord required. Why? Because it was very important to him. It was holy to the Lord. Now, today, there are a half dozen reasons or more why people, why Christians choose not to tithe. And I want to run through these very, very quickly. Are you with me? You following? Okay, here we go. Um, by the way, your notes are in so much disarray, I changed it all at the last minute. You're welcome. Uh, number one is this. Some people do not know what the Bible teaches about the tithe. Some people just don't know. I, wanna, I read a study last year. I want to show you a photo of uh, kind of a screenshot of a, uh, of a study. This is done by the Barna Group in 2021, but it was released in 2022. And, and here, here are the takeaways from it. You can read all this. We're going to pull this down in just a second. Um, but here's, here's the takeaway. The study revealed that out of practicing Christians, okay, or let's just say this, out of all Christians, those who practice the faith and those who don't really practice the faith, they don't really attend a church, they really don't give or serve, anything like that, everybody across the board, the survey reveals that all Christians in the survey revealed that 50 7% of all Christians do not understand. They acknowledge, I don't really understand or know what the tithe is about. I don't know what it is, okay? Practicing Christians are those like you. If you're here today and, you know, you, you attend church or you give or you serve, that's what we define as practicing Christians. Practicing Christians, 41% of practicing Christians in this survey admitted that they don't really understand or know what the tithe means. Okay, now listen to me, so let me bring perspective. We can take that down. Let me bring a little bit of perspective. In a church as large as Christian life, okay, this could mean that there are hundreds of people that come week in and week out who just don't know what the tithe is. They don't know anything about what I'm talking about today. And I'm going to say this, Christian life, our metrics on almost every single level, we are way above average. We are way above average. So that 41% probably isn't true for the Christian life family. But even if it's 30% or 20%, that means that there are hundreds of people that are attending our church that just don't know about the tithe. Thus, the reason we need to bring clarity ever so often about this issue. So some people just don't know what it is. Number two, some people don't believe that tithing is applicable for today, right? So there are some people that say, uh, well, isn't that Old Testament, Right? And I say, yes, absolutely, that is Old Testament. And because of the grace of God through Christ, we are free from the law. We're not bound to the Old Testament law. We're not bound to the cultural and the civic and the ceremonial laws that, that Israel had to participate in, right? This is why you can eat seafood. And I thank God for that because I love some raw oysters, okay? This is why you can go, you know, to Sheely's and have barbecue, okay, but the Jewish community weren't allowed to, 
right? It was because that was part of their, their cultural and their ceremonial laws. It was forbidden, but because we don't live under that, we're able to do that. That's why you can do your hair all funky or some of you don't have hair, whatever. You can do your hair, whatever you want to do, but the people of Israel could not do that. Why? Well, we're no longer bound to the laws that Israel was. Why? Because we are no longer under the law. We're under grace, right? Now, with that said, there has to be an understanding of this distinction. There are some things stated in the Old Testament that we are still tethered to. The moral law of God, the Ten Commandments, we are still bound to those things, right? The, the idea that we should not worship idols or other gods, that's an Old Testament principle, and we are still tethered to that, okay? This is why we believe that, uh, you know, certain things like we believe that marriage should be between a man and a woman, that human sexuality, we have a very strong biblical opinion about these things. It's not just because they are in the Old Testament, but it's because they are moral and they are also affirmed in the New Testament, okay? So things like caring for the poor, we are still committed to doing things like that. We still believe that it's wrong to lie, cheat, and steal, but we also still believe that the principle of the tithe is God's promise and commitment to us. And there are some people that say, well, but, but it's just part of the Mosaic law and we're not under the Mosaic law. No, the tithe transcends the Mosaic law. Walk with me on this journey for a moment. Before the Mosaic law was ever established, we see Abraham in the book of Genesis giving a tithe. Later in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, we see where the tithe is commanded. It's like not an option. God says, you're going to do this, okay? It's a commandment in the law. But then in the book of Proverbs, which Proverbs is not part of the Mosaic law. The book of Proverbs is a, a, a collection of generalized statements about our relationship with other people and God. Generally, these things are true. It's called a book of wisdom. And the writer of the book of wisdom says, listen, it's a wise thing to tithe. Okay, so the prophets later on begin to talk about it, as we've seen in Malachi, but even when you approach the New Testament, Jesus himself affirms the tithe. Now, again, this is important. Anything that we see affirmed in the New Testament, even if it's Old Testament, if it's affirmed in the New Testament, we are committed to it, okay? So the religious leaders come to Jesus, and Jesus straight up rebukes them. He's like, man, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Man, he, he was aggressive. We like Jesus to be like, oh, I love you. You know, he was like, bam, you know, and he cuts you deep and wide. And he says, woe to you. And listen to what he says. He says, you tithe on everything. You tithe every dollar. You tithe even your spices, every grain. You tithe, but you neglect justice and mercy, Right? But listen to what he says. Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't say, so you need to stop tithing and you need to start embracing justice and mercy. It's not what he says. He says, and you should do both of these. In other words, you should tithe, but you should also treat people right. Okay? And so it's affirmed by Jesus in the book of Matthew, but then Paul in First and Second Corinthians, he alludes to the tithe. But here's something that, that a lot of people aren't aware of. In the early church, for the first couple of hundred years of the church, you realize that the Christians, for the first couple of hundred years, they did not have a Bible the way that we have a Bible, 
right? That didn't come for a very long time. For generations, it didn't come about. So what they had is letters that would circulate to different places, and there would be people that may get some snippets of Jesus' story, but they wouldn't have the book of Ephesians because it just went to the Ephesians or whatever the case is. All around the world, people didn't have a Bible. And by the way, there are a lot of people today that still don't have a Bible. we got to work on that. But there were people, the, the vast majority of the world did not have Bibles the way that we do. And so what the early church did is they said, we've got to figure out a way to bring structure and order and to help people understand the way that we as Christians should live. And so they created this little handbook. It's called the Didache. You can buy it online today. There have been, you know, translated copies of it. It's called the Didache. It's a little handbook. And basically all it does is it goes through in the first part and it, it, it refers to Jesus' teaching about how we should live. And it says, listen, these are the things that we embrace in the Christian life. These are the things that we neglect in the Christian life. Um, it talks about how we should baptize people. And, you know, it's, it's so funny, all the, all the different layers it goes through. It says, listen, you go to a, a cold body of water. But if you can't find a cold body of water, go to a lukewarm body of water. And if you can't find that, go to a warm body of water or a hot spring. If you can't find that, you know, it just keeps going down. And basically what they're saying, they're saying, look, we're going to give you a way to do it. But if you, you got to figure out, just get it done. Just get them baptized, okay? So it's, it's very intricate, very layered, and very detailed. But as a part of the Didache, there is an entire chapter, I think it's chapter 13, that is dedicated to the tithe. And so all the way back from, you know, prehistoric times with Abraham, all the way till after the resurrection and New Testament was written, for hundreds of years, this was the practice of the Christian church. It was understood that this was not an optional thing for the people of God, but it was something that God had called all people to. So, so some people believe it's, it's no longer applicable. We do not believe that. We fully believe that this is the, the structure of God financially to sustain not only the people of God, but the ministry of God. Number three, some people do not have the faith that God will sustain their finances. Um, and let me, let me just say, I get it, especially, you know, in, in our current uh, economy. I mean, things are incredibly uncertain. Things are incredibly fragile. Um, but can I just remind you that the economic situation of Israel when Malachi is writing to them is far worse than what we're experiencing today. But yet God still calls them to obey. Even in difficult, uncertain times, listen to me, you know that you're going to eat tonight. They didn't, okay? But yet God still called them to obey. And so we, you know, had this situation where it's like, you know, I, I, I'm not really sure if God will. And again, I understand. I logically understand. I get it. I'm not, what I'm about to say is not meant to be combative. It's, it's meant to help you think or help us think, okay? Um, it, it's fascinating to me that we entrust God with something so eternal as the salvation of our souls. Right? You don't lie, lie awake at night, most nights, I hope you don't, and just like, man, am I going to hell? You know, what's going on? I, 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 trust, I trust in the grace of God, I, I, I try to, but I just don't know. You know, you're not, you're not going to a counselor because of, of that kind of stuff, I hope right? But the fascinating thing is we trust God with something so everlasting as our eternal souls, but yet we look at something that is so earthly and so temporal, like 
our money, and all of a sudden we got questions. Will God provide? What do I need to do? What, you know, what does this all look like? But yet we sleep well under the grace of God, right? And, and again, we should. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that we should sleep well under both, under every category. We should sleep well knowing that our Father is overseeing us, okay? Number four, why many Christians today do not tithe. Some people don't trust churches due to bad experience of the past. I get, again, I get it, okay? Um, we all remember the 80s and the 90s, some better than others, okay? Some of you weren't alive. Um, we remember the mega ministries, the embezzlement, the abuses, we get that. We, all of us over the past 10 years have seen these, you know, mega institutions of ministry that have grossly misused, you know, the, the, the finances of the Lord. Uh, I get that, okay? But again, not in a combative way, but, but I want to say this gingerly. I want to say that, that we have to get to a place where we, we remember that when we give our tithe, we are not, you are not giving your tithe the Christian life. You are giving your tithe to the Lord, right? Christian life will be accountable before the living God. I promise you that. And let me tell you what, there is trembling and intrepidation when you think about that, okay? And so there is, going, there is strong accountability now, but there is definitely going to be accountability in heaven. And we are all, we keep that at the forefront of our attention. But as far as it goes individually, we've got to remember that, that you're not giving it to your local church. If this isn't your home church, if you tithe to your home, you're not tithing to your home church. You're tithing to the Lord. And they are accountable for how they deal with it in the same way that the, the priest in the book of Malachi during his time, they were, okay? Number five, very quickly, some people just don't remember, all right? Once again, I get it, okay? I understand. That's why we have set up scheduled giving, Okay, this is why we remind people every single week. But I get it. This is a valid reason that people, they just don't remember. Okay, and then finally, number six, some people just don't care. They're like, I know what the Bible says. I know what God says. I don't really care. Okay, I would question if, anyway. Okay, now, what I want to do for the rest of our time together is I want to just go verse by verse through this portion of Malachi. And I just want to help us understand what Scripture says about the tithe, okay? Again, I know, like, anytime you begin to talk about people's money, right, I know this, all of a sudden it's like our sensitivities go up. It's like, what did he just say? That's my money. What did he, what, let's leave, you know? I need you to understand, once again, that is not what this is about. Okay, what this is about today is clearly articulating what the Lord says about the tithe and letting it rest, rest in your conscience, okay, and let the Lord do his, his work, whatever that ends up looking like. So I want to break down nine elements, and we're going we're gonna to clip through this, okay, nine elements of the tithe, and all about it. Number one is this. Starting in verse 8, the tithe is an expectation that God has for his people, Okay. Now, this is the beginning point. For every Christian believer, there has to be a fundamental recalibration of what we believe about the money and resources that we have. Okay? And this is what I mean by that. The money and resources that you have, you do not have. 
You own nothing. It is all the Lord's. The one who, outside of time and space, spoke everything that exists into existence. He owns all that junk. He owns every bit of it. You and I don't own anything. We have been loaned our money and our resources. That house you got, it's amazing. It ain't your house. The small paycheck that you got, that ain't your small paycheck. All of the resources that God has blessed us with, my friends, listen to me, those are on loan. We are called to be stewards of those things, and Jesus makes a pretty significant case that there's coming a day where we are going to give account for how we steward it, for how we managed everything that God gave us. But until we get this fundamental understanding down that nothing that we own, we really own. It's all the Lord's. This is how Jesus would say it. He would say, look, if you are in a system that requires politically, governmental system, that requires you to give your taxes, Jesus said, then give your taxes, right? And for the love of heaven to my Christian brothers and sisters, pay your taxes, okay? As a, as a te- what, right, wrong, and different, as a testament of just being a faithful person, as a, as a witness to the lost, just pay your taxes, and I don't want to visit you in prison ministry, okay? So, so <laughs> Jesus said, look, give to Caesar what Caesar's. What is he saying? He's saying, pay your taxes. If you're in that kind of system, give to Caesar what Caesar's. But listen to what he says next. He said, and give to God what's God's. Well, what's God's? Well, everything is God's. But what does God require us to give back to him? He requires us to give the tithe. Now, here's, here's a major issue we're dealing with, and, and I love the church world. I love churches and pastors and leaders and Christians. I love people uh, all across the spectrum. But one of the main issues that churches are dealing with right now is that we have packaged tithing and we have associated it with generosity. We have, we have tied the tithe to generosity, but the tithe is not about generosity. It's about obedience, the offerings, anything above the tithe, that's, that's, that's generosity. But the tithe in God's eyes was never about generosity. It was always about who will obey. Who will obey the decrees that I've set out before you? Who will obey these things and who won't? RT, Kendall, who will be with us in a couple of weeks. Dude, he can cut you just just dissect all kind of ways, and you feel good about it when you walk away. You're like, oh, I needed that, you know. I needed to be decapitated there for a minute. (laughs) This is the way he says it. He said, yeah, we give the tithe to God, but it's really just returning it to him. That's all that it is. It's not complex. It's not complicated. He says, yeah, we give it to him, but is it really us giving? We're really returning it to him, right? And listen to me. And again, I'm not trying to be combative when I say this, but I, but I, really, want, I really want us to see things from a heavenly perspective, okay? When we choose to neglect giving God what's his, what we are in essence doing is we are touching something that does not belong to us. So let's take a jump back to Eden, 
the father goes to Adam and he says, he says, dude, anything you want to touch, get after it, right? Even your wife, get, you know, whatever you have, all of this is yours. Touch whatever you want to touch. But listen to me say this. There's this small portion. It's a tree. It's set over on this side of the garden. And all I'm saying, you can do whatever you want to with all of this stuff. Just don't touch that. That's mine, okay? I mean, all this is mine, but that's really, really mine. And just, just leave, it, leave it to me. Let me deal with that, right? But what do we do? We went and touched that which was not ours. And listen to me, for, for the Christian believer to hold to the tide that is not yours, God uses very strong, I'm not using the strong language that God uses. He says, look, you're robbing me. The verb of that word robbing means to take by force something that's not yours. That's the language he uses. I'm kind of ginger. I'm like, oh, just don't touch what's not yours, you know. <laughs> All I'm saying is this, is that every time that we touch that which is not ours, we are participating in the fall all over again because we're laying our hands on the thing that God has asked us not to lay our hands on, right? So the question is, well, God uses the word rob, but come on, if God owns everything, is it really robbing God, okay? I love what Jack Hayford said. He said, now I think there's two sides of this coin, but, but one of the angles I want to take, I think it's really impressive what he said. He said, you realize what you're robbing God from is you're touching something that's not his. But another side of that is you are robbing God from the ability to bless your life in the way that he wants to bless your life. You ever been, I hate it when people say that to me. I understand it, but I hate it when people say it. They're like, don't rob me from this blessing. Let me buy your dinner, you know, whatever. And I'm like, I get it. You know, I get it. But yeah, that's what God's saying. He's saying, listen, when you, when you withhold this, you're preventing me. Right? In, in essence, now God can do whatever he wants, but in the system that he has established and set up, he has limited himself. And he's saying, listen, I, I will not do this unless the people obey. But when they obey, baby, it's going to unlock all kind of things that have been clogged up. Right? So, so God, there is an expectation for the people of God to give tithe. Number two, the tithe withheld removes the blessing of God. Okay? Now, again, this is a major hiccup for a lot of people. Okay? They say, are you telling me that God curses my money? I didn't say that, okay? That's what the Lord said to Israel. Now, we're free from the curse of the law, okay? We're, we're free in Christ. But, but let me, let me kind of, you know, pivot here on this point and just say this. You realize that the removal of the blessing of God is a type of curse. You realize that? Think about that for a moment. The removal of the blessing of God him stepping back from your life, my friends, that is, a, that is a type of, let me give you a great example of that. What we went through over the last three years, beginning of the pandemic, can I tell you what, what I believe that was? I believe that that was God lifting his hand of blessing off our nation. That's what I think that was. Friends, I'm going to tell you what, that felt like a curse. I mean, that was, that was hellish, okay? I'm saying that on an individual level, when, when the blessing of God is removed from our lives, it's something that, that we just don't want to be a part of, okay? Now, major, major, major disclaimer right here, okay? You should never give your tithe, your offering, whatever the case is. You should never give anything 
that is motivated by fear, by guilt, or manipulation. And you say, well, Corey, I'm feeling guilty right now. Baby, that ain't me. That's the word of the Lord. And maybe it's not guilt. Maybe it's conviction. Okay? And there's a difference. But I'm just saying, you should never give. Listen to me. I have labored before the Lord. Knowing that, that you know, the series of sermons was coming. I've labored before the living God. And I've said, God, if there is any level, any, any minute ounce of manipulation that is in my soul, even if I'm not aware of it, purge me, Lord, because I don't want to be a part of any of that because I'm smart enough to know that I will give an account for every word that's spoken from this pulpit. And baby, I don't want anything to do with manipulation or fear or guilt or anything. I don't want anything to do with it. That's not the way of the Lord. But let me tell you what we should be motivated to get by. We should be motivated to get by promise. We're going to talk about that in just one second. Number, number three, very quickly, the tithe is a full 10%. The word tithe just means a tenth part. It means 10%, okay? And according to Scripture, I'm just saying this for clarification, according to Scripture, anything less than 10% is not, you cannot define that as tithe, okay? It's just not, okay? Number four, the tithe is a partnership with God. Listen. Every time that you tithe, and you tithe to Christian life specifically, you are partnering with the Lord, but you're also partnering so things like ministries like VBS can become a reality that can change the lives of hundreds of children. You're partnering with ministries like our young adults that are trying to to reach over the cliff and retrieve those who have fallen into deconstruction. You're partnering with outreaches that will happen on a local level. You're partnering so that we can have staff members who can take care of their families while they're doing the work of the Lord. You're partnering with our life groups, which, by the way, are thriving here so that we can grow in the grace and the knowledge and the love and the understanding of the Lord Jesus. You're paying your tithe so that we can do things like print these fancy bulletins. Right? And you look at that and you're like, dude, who cares? Uh, Listen to me. A lot of people care. A lot of people care because they will take these things home and they will study them later and they will grow in their faith later. But we couldn't have done that unless the people of God were giving to the kingdom of God. When you tithe, there's a partnership that's going on with God. And this, I want to blow your mind, I hope. Every time you partner with the Lord, the Lord partners with you. Every time. It's almost as if, you know, when you get your paycheck and it goes into your bank account, which is really just numbers now. Okay, but anyway, let's say that they're dollars. Let's say that they're dollars in your bank account. When you have predetermined, I am giving God what's God's. Even before you give it, do you realize that there is a supernatural anointing that is on that 10%? And as it's in your bank account, listen to me, as it's in your bank account, that bleeds off into the other 90%. And that's how God's partnering with you. Because he is doing more with the 90 than you could have done with the 100. It's an upside down kingdom. It's backwards. It doesn't make sense. But it is the kingdom. And it's the way of the Lord. It's so that God can show himself faithful and true. So every time you partner with the Lord, he partners with you. Number five, the tithe reveals God's commitment to us and to his word. Listen to me. The only time in scripture the Lord says this, he says, test me in this. 
And this isn't like some angry God who's like, dadgummit, I told you. Test me in this. That ain't it. This is a good God. This is a benevolent father who is pleading desperately with his children. Please learn to trust. Please remember that my eye is on the sparrow and my eye is on you. Please remember that it is impossible without faith to please the Lord. But also remember that I am the Lord and I am not like man and I do not lie. And if I say that I'm going to come through, I will come through. You can mark it down. This is God's plea to us that we would trust him for the unlocking of heaven into our lives. Number six, the tithe unleashes a supernatural blessing. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. That's amazing and that's true. If you've experienced that, you know everything that I'm saying is, is absolutely reality. But I want to remind us that, that, you know, the blessing and the fruit of the tithe and our offerings that we get, the, when we receive back from that, you, you realize that that's not so that we can live in the lap of luxury, right? Uh, you realize that's not so you can, like, be by the pool with your daiquiri and a virgin daiquiri and, like, <laughs> hopefully virgin daiquiri and, and just chill and, and experience all this for your good alone. That, that's, that's not what this is about. Oftentimes, the overflow of God, the, the windows of heaven being opened, are not about our comfort. It's about our destiny. Very quickly, most of you guys know that my wife and I, we have two biological children. We've adopted three, okay? And adoption is not cheap, okay? We need major reform in our nation about that, okay? But we adopted three children. The average cost to adopt a child is about $42,000 before travel expenses and all that kind of stuff, okay? The first time that we adopted a child, it was incredible. We, we saved, we sacrificed the, the community of God, the people of God gave sacrificially. It was incredible. I mean, God just absolutely, the people of God absolutely showed up in, in an incredible way. A few months later, after, after Ella was born, we got a phone call from our attorney, and the attorney was saying, um, you know, there's another baby on the way, okay? Ella's going to have a sister. And we want to know if you would consider adopting this child in your family. Now, instinctively, we're like, yes, we'll figure it out later, you know, but yes, you know. But we had to take a step back, and we had many conversations, went through prayer, fasting, counsel, all this kind of stuff. And um, we only had a very short time frame but by the end of it, we had agreed that whatever we got to do, we're going to make this happen. We're going to bring home this child. We feel like it's part of our call. We feel like it's part of our destiny, and it's part of this child's destiny. And so as the window of time began to close, I remember having a conversation with Joy. And I said, baby, you got to understand that the people of God, our family, sacrificed, rallied all this stuff when we brought home Ella. I said, but you got to understand the second time around, it's just not going to be like that. 
okay? And I was just being honest, okay? People love new stuff, right? They rally around something new, but the second time they're like, oh, come on, dude. Again, you know, raise, raise your own money, you know, kind of thing. Um, and so I just told her, I said, I said, people, it, it will just be different this time around and we've got to be prepared for that. And so the window of time was closing and we had about six weeks left and we had only been able to save and to, uh, to raise $7,000 out of 42. So we needed 35 grand, right? In six weeks, because in adoption, you can't show up and be like, hey, you know, can I pay you month by month? They're like, no, 100% right now, or the kid doesn't come home with you. And so we had six weeks to do this. And I remember we were on a trip in December to, our, uh, to visit our family. And I remember having a conversation with Joy. And I said, she was like, what are we going to do? I don't, I don't understand. And I said, listen, whatever we got to do, we're going to make this happen. I will empty out my retirement if we got to do that in order to bring this baby home and we'll, we'll just do that. And I was 100%, I was ready to do that. That same day, Joy got a, a, a Facebook message from a lady whom we know but don't really know her. You know people like that in your life, you're like, I know them or, you know, somebody in my family knows them and I've, I've seen their face and I know their name, but that's about it. And Joy gets a message from this lady and She's like, can I call you? And Joy says, yeah. And so Joy calls and the lady says, you know, I, I see you guys are, are adopting again. You know, um, what, do you, what do you need? And Joy said, well, we're, we're not, you know, really sharing that information, but we'll, you know, we're, we're receiving anything anybody will give towards this. And so the lady, before they got off the phone, she said, well, um, I want to, I'm putting a check in the mail tomorrow for $10,000 towards this adoption. And I was like, praise the Lord. I see his provision. And after that phone call hung up, I thought, but we still got to find 25 grand. (laughs) High, high, low, low, you know. (laughs) We celebrated, we rejoiced, we gave thanks. Two days later, we get a phone call from the same lady. And she says, Joy, I know you're not sharing this, but, but can you tell me how much, how much do you lack? I I, I just, you know, I I really want to know, I want to help you pray and, you know, whatever I can do. And Joy said, well, you know, to really sum things up, we, we need another $25,000. And she said, Joy, I love you. I love Corey. I believe in what you're doing. She said, and as much as I love you, she said, I want you to know this has nothing to do with you. She said, I'm sending, I've already put the check for $10,000 in the mail. She said, tomorrow I'm going to put another check of $25,000 in the mail. And she said, I want you to be able to walk through this clean and free, Right? She said, but I want you to really understand this has, I love you, but this has nothing to do with you. God has spoken to me to do this, and I just have to be obedient. Okay? Listen to me. The windows of heaven being opened are not always about so you can have a Z71, which I love Z71s, baby. Bring it on. Okay? (laughs) I've had one. They're awesome. That's not what the windows of heaven are about. The windows of heaven are more about God fulfilling the destiny that he has placed on your life and making provision for that so that you don't have to worry. You just come to a place and you say, God spoke it. There's no other reason. Because I have been faithful and obedient when God has come to do this, I just don't even, I'll do what I got to do because I trust that God's going to handle it in the end. That, listen to me, I know it's crazy. Some of you are like, you would empty out your retirement? I would have then and I would have today. Why? Because I know even that is an act of obedience towards destiny. 
And so God would have done that. Now, I don't encourage that. Please, for the love of heaven, leave your retirement where it is, okay? Um, The government's going to take enough of it, okay? But all I'm saying is this. All I'm saying is that there are times where destiny burns in your soul and you want to know before God that nothing is going to stand in the way of you fulfilling your destiny, especially not as something as minuscule as money. When destiny... It's what God has called us to fulfill. That's the windows of heaven. That's the supernatural blessing. Number seven, very quickly, the tithe establishes protection around our resources. Listen, I need, again, there are so many disclaimers in this thing, okay? Tithing does not and will not preserve you from any and all financial difficulty. Please understand me when I say that. You're not buying God off. Please do not give with that type of mentality. Listen, crap happens. And your car's still going to break down sometimes. My window broke in my car this week. I've been faithful, but it broke this week. The pipe's going to burst. Sometimes people don't manage their other finances properly, right? Listen to me. If you're paying your tithe, but got $137,000 on your visa, that's not God's fault. You know what I'm saying? And don't like go into this like, well, God's going to miraculously eliminate. No, baby. Sometimes you've got to work and trust God for provision. But I'm telling you that God promises, listen to what he says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. I am going to shield you from things that otherwise you would be exposed to. I am going to be an enemy to your enemies is what he's saying. Number eight, the tithe places a favor upon our efforts. Listen, you know what he says to them? He says, listen, you know the the fruit that you've been taking off the vine for the the past 20 years? You know, I know that you've acquired a taste and you're kind of accustomed to the taste. He said, but listen, when when you obey me in the tithe, I'm going to make that fruit different. It's not going to fall off prematurely. I'm going to let it come to fruition. And it's going to taste sweeter, and it's going to be filled with greater levels of nutrition. It is going to be so much better on every level for you. I am going to do that because you have obeyed me. So God is is blessing our efforts even as we do them. Friends, listen to me. I know this, dude, oh, I know this sounds like fake talk, okay? It is faith talk. It is trusting in the God in whom you have entrusted your salvation to. It's saying, Lord, all of it's yours anyway. Take it and do as you please. So there's a blessing on our efforts or a favor on our efforts. And then finally, number nine is this. The tithe reveals God's faithfulness to other people. This is how the Lord closes out this whole section. He says, when you do this, when you do this, and I do that, then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You realize that God takes tremendous delight in distinguishing, making a distinction of his people compared to the other people of the land. You understand, this is what, when when judgment was falling on Egypt, there was the land of Goshen. 
that was protected. Why? Was it just because the people of God? Yeah, God wanted to preserve his people, but it was so Egypt would understand that these people got something going on that we don't. The Sabbath day, as the people of Israel come out of Egypt, one of the first things that God institutes is the Sabbath. And he says, listen, all the other nations of the earth, they're going to labor and they're going to work so hard, but you're, you're going to take one day that is holy to me and you're not going to work at all. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to bless you greater than their blessing with their seven days of work. I'm going to bless you more in six days. Why? Because I want you to be a distinct people. This is partly what circumcision was about. So that people would understand who are the children of God and who are not the children of God. In modern times, water baptism, this is a distinct marking of those who are the people of God and those who are not the people of God. And this is what the Lord says. He says, even with the tithe, it will be a testament to those who are not my people that God can be trusted. So, as we wrap this thing up, and everybody said amen, don't you do it, don't you do it. No, I'm kidding. I love you. I hope you're, I hope you're with me. Again, G Glenn at Christian. All right. Um, so, so ultimately, anytime you have a talk like this, ultimately this is where we land. I don't even want to use the word cynical, but people, cynical people, this is what they will ask. Are you telling me that God needs my money? And if it hasn't been clear up to this point, I, I want to make it super clear. Tithe is not about money. It is about worship. It is about trusting the living God. It is about bringing my first and my best as an act of worship to him. And listen, can I, can I say something super scary to you? I, I hope this is scary, not in a manipulative way, but I hope it, it's like, oh, yeah, wow. You realize that every single human being on the face of this planet gives tithe. Every single one of us give our first and our best to somebody. It may be Chevrolet to pay off that Z71. It may be South State to pay off your mortgage. It may be your kid's school supply, whatever. But every single person gives their first and their best to somebody. And the Lord takes a step back and says, whoa, 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 whoa. This wasn't South State's to begin with. This, this wasn't for your children to begin with. I provided all of this for you. And I'm just simply saying, I want your first and your best. Listen to me. God does not need our money. Listen, he says, you know all the animals of the forest? They're mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hill. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I own the dollars in every bank account. God doesn't need our money. God is after our hearts. And he's after a people who will say, God, first and best is yours. 
whether that's money or whether that's in worship or whatever that is, God, I'm giving you my first and I'm giving you my best because I love you, because I trust you, because you're good. So, that's pretty much all I got to say. Almost. So, next steps. This is all I want to encourage, okay? Two things I want to encourage. Number one, if you do not currently tithe, I want to ask you to reconsider. Even if this isn't your home church, I don't don't care about that. (laughs) You guys, (laughs) this is not a plea for the church to get more money. That is not what this is about. I want to ask you to reconsider for the kingdom of God, but also for your good. To do that, it's going to require a plan that is filled with diligence, filled with wisdom, and filled with faith. So I just want to ask you, God says, test me in this. Please, test me in this. Let me prove my faithfulness. Number two, if you do currently tithe, which my assumption is that that is most of you in this room today, okay? I am going to ask you to continue giving your tithe, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to throw something in there. I want you to recommit giving your tithe with a disposition of faith, okay? And let me, let me explain. I got married at 19 because she, she wouldn't let us wait. She was just... <sighs> it was either that or sin, so I said, let's get married. Okay, so I got married... 19, a little over a year later, we had our first child, okay? I had been working at AT&T for a few years, and I had, God had given me favor, I'd, I'd been promoted a couple different levels, and all of a sudden, I get called into an office one day, and I am told that the position that I have across the board, they're eliminating, okay? 400 people being laid off today, Okay? Devastating. I didn't know what to do. So in the same conversation, the lady that's breaking this news to me says, however, there is a corporate sales position that's available, and we would love it if you would interview for it. Now, I didn't know anything about sales, right? I had tried to, like, sell drugs as a kid, but it didn't go well, you know? And so I was just like, that's the only, do you have any sales experience? Marijuana? I don't know, you know? Um, LSD, you know? I, so it didn't go well. And so I was just like, I don't know what to do. But I was also in a situation where I'm like, well, at least it'll buy me a few months. I mean, truly, that's my mentality. At least it'll buy me a little bit of time. And so I was like, heck yeah, I'll be the best salesman you've ever seen in your life, you know? And so I interviewed for it. I was hired, all that kind of stuff. And I remember being super intimidated about that because my, my personality is, is not like that. I'm not, you know, my son-in-law is, in, like, he's very charismatic, a people person, different things like that. I love people, but I don't feel like I'm very charismatic and, you know, can draw people in, whatever. And so I was super intimidated. I remember, you know, having conversations with Joy. And I remember having a conversation with the Lord uh, one day. And I said, Father, you know, you know I'm, I'm all up in my feels about this. I'm, I'm super insecure. I don't think I can do this. But, but let me, let me <laughs> let's make a deal, you know. And I said, Father, 
I am going to do, I went through all this training and, you know, whatever. And I said, Father, I will do everything that these people have told me to do to be successful. I will work harder than anybody in our office. I will bust my tail. I will, I will do everything that is required of me to be successful, right? But I will also commit that regardless of what happens, I will give you your tithe, right? And I literally, I, I remember, I would, I would take on, on Sunday mornings, I would take, this before we were in ministry, I would take, I would take the offering envelope, and we'd, that was when you had dollars and stuff and checks, and we would stuff them in there before texting and all that. And um, I, I would take the envelope, put it in there, and I would literally stir my faith. I would say, Father, um, I just need you to come through. For the, I, I pray that every dollar in this envelope blesses the kingdom. Like around the world, here, look, I, I want it to do everything that you can accomplish with it. But Father, also for me and my family, I need you to sustain us. We trust you with this, and, and, and I give the offering every week, and I, and I committed to doing that, or give the tithe every week. And we committed to doing that. I worked my tail off, and I gave my tithe. And I'm going to tell you what, I was 21 years old, and I was only in that role for 10 months, okay? And in that 10 months, God blessed my effort so much that, listen, this was like in 2001, 2002, a long time ago, right? And that year, I brought home $73,000 as a 21-year-old child, okay? No, I'm kidding. If you're 21, you're not a child. Um, I mean, dude, like 73 grand, like, I know today that'll buy you, like, you know, dinner, but <laughs> then that was good and sustainable for anybody at any level in, in American culture at that time. Yeah. And God absolutely opened. And listen to me, in 10 months, he did that. Was it anything I did? I worked hard, right? But I committed to give God what was his. I wasn't going to touch what wasn't mine. And, and I committed to doing that. Now, here's the irony in it is that at the end of the 10 months, the reason I didn't work for AT&T anymore is because God had called Joy and I to serve at a church in Panama City that month. And that's where we spent almost a decade of our life serving. And I went from $73,000 to $24,000 the next year, <laughs> right? That's irony. That's funny. I mean, that's just, you got to laugh, right? I mean, and listen to me, we know what it's like. We know what it's like. Like there were times when we lived in that season, we knew what it was like to pay our electric bill on a credit card. Don't recommend that, but we had to do it to survive because I wasn't going to touch what was God's. I was just committed not to touch what was God's. I remember what it was like to boil hot water so that Joy could have a hot bath because there was no insulation in our home. And so every time the hot water got hot, it would turn cold immediately. And so constantly just running back and forth, back and forth, different things. I remember stuff like that, right? But listen to me again. Let me, let me trace this back for you again and, and help us be reminded that the floodgates of heaven and the supernatural blessing are not always monetary. My move from AT&T to ministry was about destiny, not about money. And so listen to me. So that year, that year, man, God did something so deep in my soul. God did something so deep in my soul and and it gave me a confidence, and this was the confidence, that any time I felt like God was calling my family to do something, there was a confidence that because we had obeyed the Lord here, 
And as we chose to say yes here, that he was going to provide for us. Listen to me. You know, not, not, I've only had like two major jobs, I guess, the other church in this church. You know, when I came to Christian Life, I never asked how much I would be paid. You know why? Because I knew that God was going to provide. I mean, and, and again, that, that sounds kind of arrogant. That's not what I mean at all. God did something in me and unconsciously, it's just this mindset that God is going to provide. And I know how that falls on the ears of somebody who has just struggled financially and just, it feels like, I know how that, that falls on you. But I just want to remind you, reignite your faith. Let your obedience be mixed with faith. Is it, it's awesome. If you're, you're already tithing, that's awesome. Me too. But listen to me. Your faith is the fuel that is poured out on the flicker of obedience. And that flicker of obedience mixed with faith becomes something. It explodes into something that you have no clue what it can become. I know this sounds like prosperity preaching, but man, if you know me, you know that ain't me. Okay, but I'm going to tell you this, this is provision preaching and this is providing preaching and this is pointing you not to a system and not, not, that's not what this is. This is pointing you to the living God to say, Lord, I love you. I trust you. I'm not going to touch with yours. I bless you. So I hope you've heard my heart this morning. I love you with all my heart. Next week, I'm so excited. I hope you come back next week, okay? Um, some of you guys are like, this guy? No. Where's Chitty, you know? Um, I've got some very exciting things to share next week. Very excited about that. I've asked Pastor Justin to come and to pray a special blessing over you, not only for your finance and all these resources and stuff like that, but for us as a, as a congregation, as the family of God, to be a part and to partner with God for what he wants to do in the earth today. Amen. Amen, Pastor Justin. As we close, I want to ask our altar ministry teams to step into place right now. And I'm going to ask everyone to stand if they will. In whatever posture you feel comfortable, if it's hands in a receiving way, if you want to kneel down. I felt like the Lord asked me to kneel so that's what I'm going to do and, and that's not a manipulative thing I'm just trying to be obedient because the Lord knows what that means between me and him and for what he wants to use it for but I want to pray a prayer blessing over you and then if you need prayer this morning if you need to give your heart to Christ if you need to red rededicate your heart to the Lord if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit if you need healing in your body if you need direction stability, peace, whatever, and you want somebody to agree with you in prayer, that's what our altar teams are here for this morning. Father, just as Pastor Stephen has taught us that when our money tithes, it's bowing to you. I want to bow to you this morning and say that I'm yours because it's your heart that wants our heart. And Lord, I'm asking you to move in lives right now in such a way where we begin not to see our temporary problems or obstacles, especially related to finances, but we would begin to see ourselves as you see us and the destiny that you've placed on our lives.
Lord, would you give us forward-looking vision to know that we are on the right track with you? And Lord, would then you help us to bring our first and our best as an act of worship, as an act of trust, as an act of obedience so that your destiny can be fulfilled in our lives. Lord, we want what you want. And Lord, this message has been particularly personal to me because I know what you promised me as a young child. And I know it will take the God of the universe to make it come to pass. So Lord, I humbly bow before you with a heart that says, whatever you want from me, I will give it because you are worthy of my first and my best. Lord, would you give us such a picture of the preferred future you have for our lives and the destiny that you're releasing over us that we would be willing, like Pastor Corey, to empty out our retirement if necessary to obey you. Lord, we don't come today praying in manipulation. We don't come today praying to coerce. We come today to surrender completely to you. It's an act of surrender. Nothing more, nothing less. It's an act of worship. And Father, I thank you that you have tethered us to this principle of tithe from the very beginning. In the Garden of Eden with Abraham, Moses establishing it for Israel, the wisdom literature of Proverbs, everything that Pastor Corey said, Jesus affirming the tithe, Paul alluding to the tithe. But Lord, the bottom line is this. We want what you want and we're willing to give you whatever you desire we're yours you gave your life for us and so I'm asking that whatever you need to do in our hearts would be released to bring fresh vision fresh destiny the ability to trust when others have called caused us not to trust when others have caused us not to be willing to lay down our lives and sacrifice for the kingdom. Father, we want to do it because you've asked us to do it. Lord, I pray for doors to open for jobs. I pray for doors to open for people who need a better job with better pay. I pray, Father, for single moms and single dads who are trying to make ends meet, those who are trying to go to school to better themselves. Lord, there are so many ways we can accomplish this. But Lord, if we are doing all of that without asking you to step in and intervene because we've laid our lives down and we've made you the Lord, not just of our heart, but of our finances. Lord, show us where we're missing it. Correct us. I know that Pastor Corey hasn't brought a corrective word, but Lord, you correct our heart. You bring conviction where it's necessary. And you show us how to respond in faith, believing that you will do more with our less. <laughs> you can do more with our less because we give you our first, 
and our best. That's what you deserve and that's what you desire. So Lord, I pray your blessing on this church family. I pray your blessing on businesses. I pray your blessing on homes. I pray your blessing on individuals. I pray your blessing on marriages. Lord, let us be on the same page with you in this area so that your glory can be seen. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone that agreed said amen.